Back up top, shot through traffic, save made, follow-up try, that one hits a body in front, and a score! It's a score! It's a score! And the Ice Bears have a 4-3 lead with 30 seconds remaining in the hockey game! Oh, what a hit! Welcome to the SPHL in Knoxville! Comes in on the right side, through the right circle, taking it and fed across, they score! Oh, yes! And the Ice Bears win 3-2 in overtime! Welcome in to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. My name is Joel Silverberg. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to the KIB podcast, whether you're doing so on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this show and feel free to give it a five-star rating and review like subscribe whatever you can do to help spread the word about this podcast we, we'd really love to be able to continue uh, going throughout the course of the year and obviously into next season as well so it's been fun uh, finishing up the second season of the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast and we hope that you all have enjoyed listening to it as well the SPHL season is officially over. Roanoke has defeated Birmingham in four games in a best-of-five series. So for the second consecutive year, the President's Cup final ends in four games. For the second consecutive year, the President's Cup final ends with an overtime game-winning goal. And this really was one of the more competitive series that I think we've seen in the last few years. Obviously, we didn't get a ultimately deciding game five, but I, I think what we saw between Roanoke and Birmingham was uh, two two teams with that, that I think I kind of mentioned on last week's edition of the podcast. They do a lot of the same things, but they do them in different ways in order to execute those things. Both teams were in the top three in shots on goal per game. Both teams were in the top three as far as fewest goal uh, shots on goal against per game. And at times, shots were at a premium, I think, for both sides. Uh, but in Game 4, you saw Roanoke do what it needed to do on a night where it, its offense just wasn't generating a, a ton of goals. Um, obviously, they got shut out in Game 2 down in Pelham. It was a high-scoring game in Game 3 Monday night in Roanoke. And then you know, no scoring until the, the latter stages of that second period when Josh Nenadal put Roanoke ahead. And then with about 10 seconds left to go in the game, Carson Rose keeps Birmingham alive in game four, but a night where Birmingham only had 19 shots on goal in more than 60 minutes of hockey. Roanoke eventually comes out on top. They nearly doubled up Birmingham in shots on goal. They outshot the Bulls 10 to two in the first period, 12 to six in the second. It was a little bit more even in the third period when Birmingham got a couple of power play opportunities, but I, I thought it was a really competitive series in the sense that you could look at all four games and say, you know, both teams really had a chance to win this game. And then there's, you know, in the past, even if a, if a series has gone to four or five games, there might be one or two games in that series where, oh, well, this team just dominated and, and you know, got this win. It just was their night, and, you know, it wasn't the case for the opponent. And ultimately, you know, that game is kind of a wash. And sometimes you know, that team can win a series. Sometimes that can lose a series. But, you know, in last uh, year's final, I know Peoria, I think it was uh, game two where they kind of, really took control of, of game two in Peoria and then ultimately won the series in Roanoke in game four. But I thought this series, you know, this is one of those where you're looking at it and both teams, I think are going to be very disappointed. I think both teams are always disappointed when uh, they are the losing team is always disappointed when um, you make it to a championship series and lose. But I, I think it's disappointing in the sense of that both teams in a way could see the finish line. Birmingham dropped two overtime games in this series. 
Uh, they dropped a game at home in game one where they, uh, you know, struck early and, and seemed like they had the momentum going. And then for Birmingham in game two, it was, you know, about just shutting down Roanoke offensively. And that nearly worked for them to perfection on Tuesday night and ultimately just came up short in overtime. I thought Roanoke came out in overtime and, and really pushed the tempo and, and was the aggressor. And it just seemed like Birmingham didn't quite have their legs for that overtime period. And, and so Roanoke came out, scored early. Mac Jansen, who uh, made a habit of scoring timely goals throughout the course of the season for Roanoke, uh, you know, it ends up being in the right place at the right time, scores from the right side. And uh, just like that, Roanoke has its first ever President's Cup championship in franchise history. Birmingham denied their first title in their second appearance in the President's Cup Finals. So I, I just thought that this series, you, you could look at it and, and say, man, a break here, or a break there, and, and maybe you know Birmingham, we're talking about Birmingham winning it, or maybe we're talking about the two teams getting ready for a Game 5 on Thursday, because I think Birmingham feels like it, you know, really, all, especially all three of Birmingham's losses, it feels like it, it could have really won those games, but especially Monday and Tuesday in Roanoke when both those games go to overtime. And I think you look over the course of the entire series as far as power play opportunities. I think Roanoke only had one more power play chance than Birmingham did over the course of four games. So, uh, you know, both teams getting, you know, chances. Obviously, the, the minutes add up a little bit differently because of a couple of five-minute majors here and there. Uh, but just very, very different, um, a very different series in the finals than what we've seen in quite some time because oftentimes you see teams that, you know, they, they win game one and then they just take control of the series. In 2021, uh, you know, Pensacola swept Macon. And then 2020, there was no postseason. In 2019, Huntsville swept Birmingham. And um, it, it's it's been interesting to kind of see such a competitive postseason where both semifinal series go to game three. And then Birmingham almost upset in the first round after losing in overtime to Fayetteville in game one and you know Roanoke having to go to a game three against Peoria and then the way that Peoria really handled its business in game two and then getting game three at home and and so that that's kind of you know we often say it's a game of inches where you can look at one game and say man the, the entire course of the postseason could have changed off this one result but it, it really in this postseason it felt very deep I kind of said it throughout the course of the year that there really seemed like there were up to six teams that I thought really had a chance to win it. Now for Knoxville and Evansville, I, I think for them, their odds kind of started to fade just a little bit as they got closer to the postseason. For Evansville, having Trevor Gorsuch, the goaltender of the year, called up right before the regular season ended was obviously a tough blow. And then Zane Steves gets injured um, during the course of that series with Roanoke certainly didn't help. And then for Knoxville, I, I think it was a team that really just started to have defensive struggles in the month of March and ultimately couldn't get those things corrected. And then its offense just wasn't there in that first-round series loss to Huntsville. But I still think you're talking about two teams that put together two really good campaigns. And for Knoxville being the sixth seed with 32 wins, that's more wins than a sixth seed in the SPHL traditionally has. And I, I think for Evansville, it was a landmark year for the franchise, even though they're still wanting that, you know, that, that elusive post-series win a postseason series win where, you know, they set a franchise record for wins. They won the regular season series against Peoria, which ended up being the number one seed. Um, 
I do think that that's where it was. It, it was a little bit more about parity and with with Peoria. Were they the one seed? Yes. Do I ne- did I necessarily think they were the absolute best, far and away the best team going into the the postseason? I, I really didn't. I didn't think that they. You know, obviously we're not. Vegas sportsbooks aren't putting odds on SPHL, SPA <laughs> on the SPHL. But if if they if I was, I don't think I would have had Peoria as my odds on favorite to win it. It didn't really surprise me that Roanoke beat them in the semifinals. I thought that Peoria had a chance to win it, but I. I also felt the same way about Peoria that I did about Birmingham, Huntsville, Roanoke. I, I really felt like it was a wide open field. I mean that in a good way. I think it's, you know, I thought it was clear that any team could have won, a, won it. Roanoke was the four seed. At one point during the regular season, it looked like they were going to compete for the one seed and, you know, kind of hit a skid here and there. And every team does that over the course of the season. And and my, my reason with Peoria not seeing them as the runaway favorite is again, because of their regular season schedule. And it's not Peoria's fault, but 28 of their 57 games, we're talking literally half of their regular season schedule is against quad city, Vermillion and Macon. And and to me, I I think sometimes when you're not battle tested enough and, you know, Roanoke plays against a Fayetteville team that while Fayetteville was the seventh seed, that was, you know, a, a lot of tough games over the course of the year, you know, Roanoke has to face Huntsville, Roanoke has to face Birmingham, Roanoke played, Knoxville 14 times. I mean, that's a quarter of their season going up against a team that had two all SPHL, three all SPHL selections, two on the first team, the league MVP, the team that led the league in goals scored this year. So it's, you know, I think there's something to be said about being a battle tested team going into the postseason. And for Roanoke, that obviously proved to be really important last season because Roanoke went on this run to the finals. Not, and I don't think anybody was buying Roanoke as, as like just any old eight seed. They ended the regular season on, on such a, a drought, but I don't think anybody was overlooking them. And they had, you know, played really well against Knoxville during the regular season. They played really well against Huntsville during the regular season, then beat those teams in the postseason, the first round, the semifinals. They hadn't seen Peoria a whole lot, um, but Peoria, I think, was a little bit more battle-tested last year because – yeah, you know, the schedule, the makeup is similar. They're playing against Evansville, they're playing against Quad City, and they're playing against Vermillion County a lot, but they're getting to play against a Quad City team that was a really talented team last year that ended up as the five seed. And this year, you know, to no fault of Peoria's own, again, the league schedule makes it schedule-based geographically, but I think there's something to be said about facing tough competition during the course of the regular season because you take losses and it helps you see the the areas that your team needs to improve. And that's something that Dan Bremner has been able to do with his team in each of the past two seasons. And, and Roanoke traditionally has actually been a pretty solid postseason team. If, when you think about their postseason history in, in just the last four postseasons, you know, 2019, they upset the, the team that had the greatest regular season percentage of all time in Peoria. And then in 2022, they... Uh, and so for Roanoke, it's their last three postseasons. 2022, they upset the number one seed in Knoxville, who had won more games in a single season than any team in history. And then 2023, they win the title as the four seed. So, you know, for Roanoke, the, the, and and again, we've seen this throughout the course of time. We've seen, you know, four seeds and five seeds win the President's Cup before. That in and of itself is, is not the big historical thing, but it, it goes to show the competitiveness of the league how deep this league was, but also how important it is to have consistency 
with the guys that you have on your roster. Garrett Sargis came back late in the season after being there for that finals run a year ago. Mac Jansen was back. Josh Nenadol was back. Um, you know, Billy Vizzo, Nick DeVito, Matt O'Day, Nick Ford, a lot of key pieces from that run last year. And then there were some guys that weren't back for it this year. Travis Armstrong retired, um, but Austin Rodebush was back. And I think for, you know, Rodebush, there was a lot of motivation with him not necessarily being the ace for that finals run, even though he appeared in a handful of games, didn't go into the postseason as the number one guy was behind Sammy Bernard and then came into this postseason as the guy. And Roanoke rode him all throughout the postseason, and it resulted in a championship and, and easily far and away the best postseason that Rodebush has had in his career. I mean, you, you look back to 2022, he, he only appeared in, in really about two and a half games. And so the numbers aren't bad. But again, as I mentioned before, wasn't the guy had a monster performance against Huntsville in the semifinals. And then the year before with Knoxville, you know, appeared in one game when the Ice Bears got swept by Pensacola, had a really, really tough outing, ended up getting pulled. And, you know, they Knoxville went with Peter DeSalvo the rest of the way. But this year, nine games, just 20 goals given up. That's a 218 average and 925 save percentage. Those numbers, if he had been able to maintain those throughout the course of the regular season, he far and away would have been the goaltender of the year, in my opinion, and went 7-2 and two over the course of the playoffs, um, had a shutout uh, in the postseason as well. And I, I just think it goes to show that when you get hot at the right time, and Roanoke has figured out a recipe to be able to do that, really over their last three playoff appearances. And so for Dan Bremner, you know, he's obviously very much enjoying himself right now, but he is going to have some work to do because oftentimes with championship teams, you know, there are players that decide they want to go out on top. They want to retire. Guys get opportunities to go to Europe or go to the ECHL or, you know, want to take the next step in their hockey career in some form or fashion. And so there's just a, a bunch of different things. And if Bremner is back in Roanoke next year, and I'm, I'm saying that because you just, I have no information or intel on anything on any coaching moves happening throughout the course of the league. But, you know, winning a championship can make you obviously very appealing to other teams that may want your services. And so assuming that Dan Bremner is back in Roanoke next season, it's obviously going to be there's going to be a lot of turnover because there just is regardless of, when, of whether you win a championship or not. But especially when you do win a championship, it bodes well for players that are looking to take that next step in their careers. And I think obviously with you look at Travis Broman getting a call up and a couple of other players for Roanoke that got call-up opportunities and spent a significant amount of time in the ECHL. Broman had a, a, was really successful in Adirondack after he left Roanoke and you know went up to the ECHL. And that's something that the organization can put on its resume to say, hey, we had this guy with us last season. He started, or we had this guy with us two seasons ago. He was really important in helping us get to the finals. The following year, he was having a really good season, got called up, we never saw him again, and then he tore it up in the ECHL. And so that's going to lead to, you know, other guys in Roanoke potentially looking at call-ups in ECHL camps. And again, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. This is the the way it goes for every team. But um, it's just always interesting to see teams try to replicate the success that they had. But the fact that there is a solid core there in Roanoke is going to obviously continue to make Roanoke a really tough team to be. I think the entire league perspective as a whole, it's going to be interesting because, you know, Knoxville's got a, you know, they're going to make some adjustments and trying to get back to where they were because Knoxville obviously did a lot of really good things on the ice, but they want to take that next step forward in the postseason. That's the same with Evansville. It's the same with Fayetteville. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously Quad City wants to get back to the postseason. Macon had some things working for it 
late in the season. And so I believe that Nick Niedert has a core that he can work with and now wants to take that next step with his team to get back into the postseason. Um, you, you look at Huntsville. Now they've got a new era starting, and that that is the big coaching change that's happening. Glenn DeTulio is moving into the front office. Stuart Stefan was officially introduced as the franchise's new head coach. You know, what does that mean for the core of guys that have been there for so long? And, th- and that's what has made Huntsville so successful for years is that not only have they had this core group of guys, but most of them haven't really taken a whole lot, if any, call-ups over the last several seasons. And so what does that look like now with a new coaching change? And, you know, Peoria is losing Alec Hageman. And, and so what other players are going to ultimately decide to hang it up for the Rivermen? And then Birmingham, a, a big breakout year for Craig Simchuk, but... You know, some of the pieces that he assembled ended up in the ECHL. Stepan Timofeya, Birmingham probably dealt with more call-ups, I think, than any other team in the league. And so do those guys stick in the coast next year when they get camp tryouts? And which of those guys want to come back? So I think it's very, very interesting to see how that could all play out. But a really, really deep season for the SPHL, I believe, when you talk about your four seed winning it, your six seed had 32 wins and was two wins away from being the three seed. And, you know, your number one seed goes down in the semifinals at home in game three. It, it just goes to show how much depth there was in the league this year. Um, and again, Austin Rodebush, uh, obviously we mentioned all of his accomplishments. I don't know if we mentioned this, but he was named the playoffs MVP for the President's Cup final. So we, we've seen that a uh, bit of a run with goaltenders being named the uh, playoffs MVP. I know Kirk Irving and Brian Hintz have done it for Knoxville. Last year it was Jack Berry for Peoria. So, uh, you see that at times where, um, you know, it's no surprise when a goalie uh, plays really, really well over the course of a postseason that they're going to end up with uh, an MVP award if that um, if that title is coming to their team's organization. So I, I think it was a great season. It was a lot of fun. Already looking forward to um, to October. I think we've got about 150 days until October gets here. So we'll, the countdown will begin and we'll look forward to putting the ice back in the Coliseum and having everything done next season. And obviously, wish it, um, you know, didn't mention this earlier when talking about the final series, but really um, hoping the best for Michael Gillespie. I haven't heard an update on how he's doing, but obviously taken out in game two with a hit by Jason Lavalley and um, had to be helped off the ice by a couple of Birmingham trainers. And so I, I really hope that uh, Michael's okay. Um, he had a phenomenal season for Birmingham, his second year as a pro, his first season in the SPHL, and was not available for games three and four. And, Obviously, who knows if you know it would have ultimately made a difference or not. I'm sure Birmingham believes that it would. Roanoke, I'm sure, is probably confident with the way that Rotobush played that it wouldn't have made a difference. But I think everybody, if you're looking at it from an objective standpoint, I think we can all agree that we hope that Michael is okay and that we uh, really would have preferred to have seen him out there because whenever you want to see a competitive championship series, you want to see the best players on the best teams playing their best hockey at the best time. And, you know, it was really unfortunate that Gillespie wasn't out there. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and make an argument on whether or not it would have made a difference. It potentially might have, but with the way that, you know, Roanoke plays defensively, it might not have. And and I think Carson Rose deserves a lot of credit for the way that he stepped up in games three or four, had, had big ga- uh, goals in the third period of both of those games to force overtime for Birmingham just wasn't enough to get Birmingham across the finish line. But this is one of those series that we don't see very often in this league where you can make the argument that both teams very, very much were close to winning the title. And that's not always the case, not not to this margin. 
Um, but hats off to both Roanoke and Birmingham on a great series. And a uh, shout out to my guy, Mitch Stewart, the voice of the Rail Yard Dogs, a, a solid call in the game-winning goal and a, a fun run for him. He's been with the Rail Yard Dogs for two seasons. He's gotten called two championship series. So uh, a lot of fun for Mitch, and I'm sure he's enjoying uh, everything that's been going on with the festivities out in the Star City. Thank you so much for listening to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast this season. It's hard to believe it's been two years since we started doing this podcast. Again, I'm Joel Silverberg. Like, subscribe, follow, however you get your podcast. Make sure you're telling other SPHL fans about this show, the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. The countdown begins to October. Thank you so much for listening.